Welcome to the Zen Founder Podcast. I'm Dr. Sherry Walling, and my mission here is to help bring sound, helpful, psychologically reasoned mental health tips to the community of entrepreneurs. I'm recording a series of episodes in which I co-host with my very dear friend, Alan Ozeri. Alan is a baker. He's also a very successful entrepreneur, and he is one of the people that I call when I feel stuck or lost or in need of my own mental health support. So I'm so glad that he's joining me for this series of episodes in which we offer guidance, support, and strategies for our community of entrepreneurial friends. My name is Alon Ozeri, entrepreneur, a baker, have been a soldier, and I'm really happy to be here with Sherry to share. No, we're more than sharing and exploring. Welcome to the Zen Founder Podcast. This is a place where we have conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship. We have a pretty broad conceptualization of what mental health means, sometimes depression, anxiety, sometimes relationships or physical health. The goal here is to bring some calm into the crazy roller coaster of ups and downs that is life for many entrepreneurs. I'm your host, I'm Dr. Sherry Walling. I'm a clinical psychologist and an entrepreneur, married to an entrepreneur, live in the world of entrepreneurs, and I'm so pleased that you have joined us for this conversation. Cool. So we have uh, Eric Rosenberg. Eric, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And what is on your mind? What are we here to discuss? Well, you know, it's all this thing about all my life I've been doing uh, yo-yo with my weight, taking a lot, losing a lot. Quite frankly, if I take all the the weight I lost in my life, I don't exist anymore. And uh, I'm kind of uh, fed up now with, with that. I don't like the way I look. I don't want to go to the pool. I don't want to wear a t-shirt, you know, stuff like that. So more importantly, I want to be here for a long time for my kids and for my wife. And so I decided that it was time to do something. And in the meantime, with all this thing going on, I also like the uh, mental toughness uh, kind of challenge. And I heard about 75 hard from uh, several friends and I decided to do it. So now I'm on day nine and I'm starting to uh, get the energy coming back. That's great. But that's always been an issue for me. What are the basics of 75 hard? You need for 75 days, it's... um, Andy Frizzella, who, who started that. And uh, you, you need to do uh, several things every day for 75 days. You need to drink a gallon of water. You need to do two workouts. One has to be outside, which in South Florida is not, even the rain is warm, so that's fine. But separated by two hours each. You need to read 10 pages of a personal development book. You need to take a progress pick for yourself and you need to follow a diet. And so no alcohol, which has never been a problem for me personally, even though I like good wine, but that's it. And no cheat meal. If you miss one of those any day, you're back to first day. You start over and you have to do that for 75 days in a row, which, you know, some people might think it's for uh, health issues. It is, but it's not really like a losing weight program. It's more mental toughness program. It's a total reset program. I mean, I don't know this program, but, and I'm not, you know, I'm not a dietitian or a nutritionist or anything like that, but I like the sound of it because of the, like the deep dedication over 75 days. Like that's really the amount of time that it would take to totally change some of these habits that are really entrenched. 
whether it's about food or about valuing yourself or about dedicating time and energy to taking care of yourself? So in your experience, Sherry, from what I'm doing now, for the first time in my lab, we'll finally have something that lasts. I think you're setting yourself up for success by giving it like a lot of dedication and energy. So I'll, I'll jump in here. I did a little reading yesterday, and one of the things that popped up was that 95% of diets fail, and eventually, over a course of time. And basically, they're a money scheme. A lot of companies make a lot of money coming up with programs that kind of attach to our ability to commit to something for a certain period of time, because we need tasks. We need things that are clear for our brain. That's something, you know, we, we put all our energy into that and, and go for it. But over time, that doesn't always last. So just as a, a just in regards to this uh, 75 hard, there are a few elements that are really nice where you're trying to change the mindset. And, you know, I, I can't necessarily speak about dieting because people say if you haven't been there, you know, you can't talk about it. And I'm, you know, obviously I, I do keep, I keep an eye on what I eat, but there are so many people, all people are different. But to me, to me, the issue with dieting is more liking yourself and, and having much deeper issues of self-love and acceptance. And, and that's where I would target my energies, where looking at the core, and, and I'm not a psychologist in any way. I mean, uh, Sherry's here and maybe she can contribute to that, but Almost everything, and, and I have encountered other personal issues where it came down to accepting myself and liking myself and doing deep work on issues that I have gone through in childhood and have accepted or have buried or have not accepted. And to me, that's the, the root of almost everything we encounter while we're older and basically seeking for alignment as an adult. And I would look for things down there. I, I totally agree with you. There's two things you said that resonates with me. The first one is the underlying reasons why um, I, I would put weight on. And I'm not saying people would put weight on because some people really, uh, it's, it's more uh, a metabolism and, and, and uh, something in, in their DNA that they cannot do anything about. But as far as I'm concerned, you're absolutely right. When I feel good, there is no excuse, even traveling, and I'm traveling a lot. Usually there is no excuse. So you're absolutely right. But the second thing is the alignment. It's not that I don't accept myself. I think I'm, I'm quite self-aware. And because I'm quite self-aware, I just don't like the way I look. I just don't like it. It's not for others. First is for me. And the benefit is obviously uh, more energy and being there for my family uh, much longer. I like the second thing that you said because I think it is really important when you're thinking about changing anything about yourself or changing any patterns in your life, not just that you're turning away from something, but that you're turning to something. Like it's the, it's the end result, it's the payoff, it's the goal. And it can't be just, I don't want this. It's so much more powerful to actually want something. And that's what you're chasing after. That's the thing you, you hold in mind. And I think the more specific that is, the better I know for me, I'm in my mid forties and I'm in probably the best shape of my life outside of when I was in college and was a college athlete. And it's because I'm doing so much circus, right? I'm doing this, this physical discipline that requires a lot of turning toward. So if I want to be able to hold my body weight and flip myself around in the air, like I can't have that second piece of cake. And so I'm not like sad that I'm saying no to the cake because I'm saying yes to this other part of my life that brings me a lot of joy and satisfaction. So I think the deeper you can go in, in what you want to say yes to, Eric, the better and the more like 
the easier and the more rewarding that shift will be for you. Because I, I like the goal of looking good. Like everybody likes to look good. But I think for you, the more specific you can make that, the better it will be for you. Yeah. And, and so this little thing that, you know, I, I was reading, uh, I, I don't know on, on which uh, side they're saying, you know, there's this clothes that you like. It's, it's not I'm, a, I'm totally not a fashion uh, maniac. And I don't like to go in a store when I cannot find a, a shirt in my size. That's depressing. And it's all those little things. But really what I like in, in this is, again, I, I think I know myself quite well, and, and uh, I am not very balanced, quiet person. I'm more into the black or white. And this, for me, because it's a little crazy, I just love it. And it's the mental stuff. So I started, shoes were bad, my heels were uh, hurting, uh, no excuse. And then I, I blocked my back three days uh, into it, really bad that I need to go to the chiropractor. It didn't prevent me for, for doing the workout, even if it was very light. And maybe because of travel, because of whatever, I might skip one day and, and be back to day one, which I don't want to. But it's really, like you said, it, it's projecting myself in the future and, and being happy for myself that i done this and I changed my habits for the better. I just uh, I won't give you advice about dieting but what I will uh, is when I look at people, you touched a point where a matter of balance and finding balance in life is, is so important because when you withdraw yourself completely for something, then you crave it more. When you're, you're stopping it and putting energy or not, then that's what you're attracted to. And that's why when what Sherry said was replacing it with something to go, go towards, it makes a lot of sense. If I go deeper us as humans, we're kind of basically half a, a balance between metaphysical and the physical, where the physical all the time wants and wants and wants. Uh, the body wants. It, wants. it wants to feel good. It wants food. It wants warmth. And, and it takes all the time. While the metaphysical is, is pure light and giving and loving and, and wanting to give all the time. And to me, living this life is balancing those two. It's balancing the, the physical and the metaphysical and the giving. And I think if, if you kind of put your intention there, and I'm not saying not to do what you're doing now, because we need techniques and we need strategies. Sorry, like it's part of life to get places. But also maybe part of your mental workout there in reading book and whatnot is looking at that balance between the giving and the taking and, and finding your balance and also self-love because a relationship we have in food is also, obviously, a matter of biology and chemistry and all. But if we assume we're also all energy, then we have an indirect influence on that. And I know I'm speaking a little highly there, and it's not, not always understandable, but at least it's a, a point to direct at and to think about. And I agree with you with the principle of uh, looking for the balance. And I agree with you about the physical, the metaphysical, and I'm sure that in metaphysical, you're including spiritual and, and, and things like that. Or maybe it's other words to say the same thing, but, uh, you know, I'm not English native, so that, that's how I, I look at it. I also believe that to take a, a circus example, imagine that you, those big ball, okay, you're standing on that ball, so it's moving all the time. And that's how I look at life. You're trying to get the balance, but the balance doesn't stay for long. And uh, whether you call it the zone or, or for a few, few minutes, a few hours, there's always an imbalance. So... I'm more today looking into what are the different elements that are important for me, including spiritual or metaphysical, and what can I do for it? It's the first thing is acknowledging what I'm missing the most. 
I just don't believe that I will reach a, a perfect state of balance that will stay like that for long. Does that make sense? Oh, I absolutely agree. Yeah. Whenever someone is balancing in it physically, there's like many, many tiny movements happening that are not even visible, but there's a lot, a lot of motion. But it's interesting that you use the word yo-yo when you talk about this story for you, the story of your weight as a yo-yo. I mean, that's big, dramatic movement back and forth, up and down. It's almost jarring. And so I think some of the key is to make that movement much smaller, to like to ground down in your presence, in your life, in your home, in your family, at, in this age of your life, this phase of your life, to be a little more still, a little less motion, which does facilitate, I think, a little bit more balance. Eric, I'm curious what, like, if you can identify the main stress cause in your life, what would it be? You know, my wife's going to be listening to it. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Eric, every, everybody wants more sex. It's uh... <laughs> Not, I'm not even going there. <laughs> Alan went there for you. I was reading Sherry's mind. The, the main source of stress, securing the future for my kids and then extended to that, securing the future for my family. I mean, those are hard ones. Yeah. And, and that's linked to where do we live, which is, as you know, why we, we moved to the U.S. seven years ago, but also financial. You know, it's it's very interesting because everybody's got different uh, approach about money. For me, is to be able to live in the house that they like, to send them to the school that they want. It's not that I want to have a boat or, or that I'm, I'm a gambler or whatever, but that's, that's that first stress. But the second thing is when I'm not having fun, professionally speaking, when I have to work with people that are toxic or in an environment that is not supporting the element part of, of the success in the business, or when I'm faced with people that are unfair, that is stressing me out. And that is immediately there's something that's clicking and that is really, really annoying. Do you have a lot of that in your life, Eric? Uh, sometimes. <laughs> I try to stop that. But uh, as you know, the, the things you can impact and the things on which uh, you have no effect. And in that case, there's always the same thing. You have three options. You lead, you follow, or you get out of the way. Uh, I've never envisioned a fourth one. So knowing that, you know what, it's very important uh, for me, I realize that if I don't uh, meditate, it's not that I'm meditating hours, but I meditate regularly. If I don't do it for a few days, because of whatever reason, then uh, I'm more stressed. So, and then I think speak a little bit more to what Sherry was saying in terms of, of balance. But your question alone is, is very interesting, is to understand what are the sources of stress and then acknowledge it. Now, the question is, when you've acknowledged it, what do you do with it if you cannot have any impact on that? So I, I really resonate the financial and family safety. At 16, our family lost everything. Financially, we move countries and basically with the suitcases back into Canada. And I, from that story, from what happened, our father lost his two businesses and within 30 days we moved countries. I, unlike my brothers, took upon myself the financial stress issue. And I, like, that was my main focus. And like many things, you know, there, there are pluses and minuses. So it definitely has driven me to succeed in business. I went to university, I, I wrote a business plan and opened a business and thankfully we're successful. 
but it also took away a lot from me. And then in my mid thirties, when I, I went to a certain course for self-help, it's funny because I, I wasn't sure at first, you know, I wanted money, I wanted safety. And, and then I decided that I want to have confidence that everything will be okay for me, for the fam, for everything. And that, that was my ask of the universe at that time. It took a while, but I, I definitely searched in several places. And today, the caring for the family and for the kids that's so ingrained in us. And I think that what I had to accept was this is my life that will be their life. And I have confidence that things will be okay. Because carrying that weight of your, your kids' success is so heavy. There's so many, so many threats out there. Like how can one person carry all of that? That's almost impossible because you're carrying the unknown future on you. And, and that's what I would look at kind of disconnecting your care for your kids from that whole entire future package, which, to be honest, it's very hard to have control over. I agree from the moment that they, you know, we're always speaking about roots and wings. We give them roots so that they can fly away. And my elder one is now in college. So it's, you know, it, it was hard when she first went, but that's part of life. We were proud, you know, we, we give her roots and, and she now can fly. But until she finished college, I believe it's our responsibility to let her finish her, her, her training, if you want. And then she will fly wherever she wants. And from that moment, yes, I agree with you. I cannot be responsible for their success. And I do believe that until then, it is my responsibility uh, as a parent to make sure that they have as many tools and that as many training as possible to be able to fly on their own and make their own choice. But don't confuse responsibility and control. So responsibility is your assumption that this is, this is where I'm putting my effort. This is where I'm putting my energy in the direction of making sure that I can pay for college or that I am supporting my daughters and what they need. But that is not control. That's not a predictable outcome like control is an illusion, the sense in which you're doing this for the certainty of an outcome, you're still facing the openness and the real stark reality of your lack of control. So a really classic kind of old Freudian psychological interpretation of dysregulated weight is a dysregulated relationship with control. So food is one of the things that we can most sort of basically fundamentally control about ourselves. But when we're deprived food, when we're worried about the deprivation of something important, we either get used to living without it, so a lot of restriction, or we we kind of hoard it. We take in too much, and then we have this sort of inability to read when enough is enough or when we've really filled our bodies and when our bodies need more. So when our our kind of understanding metaphysically, spiritually, whatever of control and our role in the universe is off, we can translate that into the physical ex expression of eating too much or eating too little, of like holding and clenching too much control over our food intake. So if I understand you well, let's say to take out an example that I would want to control the, the life of my daughters, which I don't want to, which I know it's impossible, but let's say that would be the case. But maybe deep down somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so if I cannot do it, then I would compensate by eating. Yeah. You go back to what is most easily controllable by you. 
Eric, I'd like to jump in there. So we have a daughter who's 16 and she has, uh, she's on the spectrum and has eating disorder. Her eating disorder, when you're looking, and we have unfortunately a, a lot of experience with this, uh, uh, her being hospitalized a couple of times, but her relationship with food has nothing to do with the food itself. And Sherry hit it on the, the nail on the head. It's all about control. She has no control over her inability to connect with kids her age, but she does have control over the food in her body. So in her, in her uh, particular case, by letting the food out, she, she has a sense of control. And in so many areas of her life, she doesn't have control. This is the only one that's clear and hers. And, and not only that, but our reaction around it shows her that she's in control. So, so I'm not connecting the two, but uh, I am definitely talking about the connection between food and, and sense of control. And she's hurting herself. She's, she's hurting herself tremendously. So it's really, I, I agree with you, Sherry. That's a great point. I mean, I think, Eric, it also goes beyond the finite moment of a decision to eat or not. I mean, as someone who's changed countries, who's come here for in hopes of kind of a better life and more financial security, like you've taken really dramatic, incredibly beautiful action to create a life for yourself and for your family. And then there's also this, you know, this long history of which you are a part and that the the trauma of the Holocaust and the trauma of war and genocide lives in your body. And I think that is also potentially part of this story for you. There's this, this story of, of children who survived the Holocaust coming to live in new homes and they would have this sort of dysregulated relationship with eating. They would try to eat as much as they could. They eat everything that they could see because there was in their in their back of their mind, they don't know when they're going to eat again. And so in, in the story, the people who were taking care of the children ended up letting them sleep with loaf of bread next to their bed. So there was just this assurance that the bread is always there, that they don't have to, they don't have to cram it in or hide it or hoard it, but it's, it's there, it's available. There's this sense of like abundance and availability and that kind of solved the problem for those children, you know, without getting too deep and too complicated about it, like... I think it's also worth honoring the fact that you are living in this time and place with this particular issue, but your body comes from generations of pain and suffering and trauma around, will we have safety? Will we have food? Will we have enough to care for ourselves and our families? And so it's a very old story that you are living in a piece of right now. Fascinating. I've heard this several times before. And uh, I think can relate to it, not only the trauma of the children, but the grandchildren. I actually have a psychology uh, teacher, Marcel Friedman, back in Belgium, who, who wrote about that. That's the, the real story with the, the meatloaf, the, the, the piece of bread by the uh, loaf of bread by the, uh, the bed. Eric, we, I grew up in Israel, as you know, and there are a lot of second generation Holocaust uh, families. And you see, you see first generation, second and even third where there's uh, definitely an impact on those uh, on those people. My ex-wife is also uh, has that kind of uh, memory from back when, and it definitely still has impact in different ways. Yeah, I'm, I'm listening to both of you, and, and uh, I can relate to that. And I want to be aware of it and take action. It's not a fatality. It is a situation. It is a history, DNA, whatever you want. And I want to take action to, to solve that or to go over that, if that makes sense. 
The way that I would make that story really practical is one thing to say, be careful about dieting, be careful about restriction, because I think that could trigger a sense of instability inside of you in some corner deep down that will keep the yo-yo going. So again, not a nutritionist, not a dietitian, but I would say, generally speaking, make sure that you feel the abundance of food and its availability. Don't overeat, but just don't worry about like restricting and counting calories. I, I just don't think that's kind of the right mindset from which to approach this, given this history and this story in your, in your generational background. So it's, it really is the addition of things. It's the addition of exercise. It's the addition of dancing. It's the addition of like thinking about that lovely shirt that you want to wear, that you want to look fabulous in. It's adding things, not restricting or taking away, which I, again, I think is going to trigger some resistance in you that is going to be harder to fight than expected. I'd like to add, so the more you go back and look for the root causes and expose them and accept them, and it takes time, it, it, our regular logic doesn't almost work with that, but going back and, and making them, they become a story where their energy doesn't control you today. But just, yes, it happened. Yes, there may be that connection and you're aware of it, but it doesn't any longer have uh, like this invisible power reaching out from the past to you today is very important. Plus, uh, obviously doing things today with strategies on how to get your goals and just it's it almost you need a combination of the two because just reducing weight for 75 days and then what? And then what? And you get to 73 days and something happens and you go back to day one. How depressing is that? That's like, that stresses me out already. Which is why, which is why despite hurting my back, I say, no, I'm going to the gym. I'm not going. You're, you're a high achiever, Eric. Like you're a highly accomplished, high achiever, very able person from what I know. And not everybody's like that. Like that, that would stop a lot of people early on. That would scare people or depress them or may bring them down. Like imagine not succeeding and not succeeding. And that, that kind of does not, that doesn't set some people for success. But again, making, going back in that story, just being a story, because it won't go away ever. You, you are who you are. Very, both of you, that's fascinating. I, I, I was not expecting to, to get that angle and it makes so much sense. So th thank you for that. And, and I think also to talking about this program along the, uh, the situation with COVID and having the kids at home, I have even more accountability because I want to show them when you do something, you just do it. <laughs> there's no excuse. So it, it's, I'm not saying it's easy, it's hard. And there's a reason why it's called like that. And I think it's very uh, helpful to have the environment right, right now. It's probably the, the best moment to do this program. Yeah, you're home. There's more stability. It's easier to kind of ground down and pay attention to those little tiny micro movements that help bring balance. And it sounds like you have some support. You have some people in your household that are cheering you on. Oh, yeah. I get my little one. She goes with biking for my second workout. And it's just, you know, the effect of uh, showing showing the, uh, the right example. I'm traveling next week, so I know I already have to wake up very early to do my first workout before the plane and everything. It's just a question of planning, but... Uh, yeah. As long as you choose it and are not kind of cornered in by friends, by society, by whatnot, if you choose this program because it intrigues you, because it has elements that are encouraging you to succeed, then that's great. And then that's it could be good. Yeah, thank you. You know, but uh, on a different topic, but the, the principle is the same. And I'm talking about not being influenced by, by friends or uh, doing it because I'm, I'm, 
I have to, or people are, uh, the, the peer pressure, uh, that, uh, I, I don't play that, but I had a friend last week said, Oh, I like what, speaking with you, Eric, because I like speaking with people who have a different point of view than I have. And I start laughing. I say, usually, uh, among my friend, I'm the only one who share my view. So that's very interesting. <laughs> I think it's impossible to have you not share your views, Eric. <laughs> right, that's right. Which is amazing. Yeah, who you are. But, but to your point, I, I'm, I love doing this because of others. I'm, I'm doing this uh, because of me and because I want to. I, by the way, admire your uh, message regarding uh, Europe and, and Holocaust and anti-Semitism. I think your voice is important today because we don't hear enough of that and that's the I I full respect from me about that and and even if i don't comment i do see it and hear it so just for you to know thank you very much we'll see uh, we'll see where the writing goes have you started writing yes i've started writing absolutely and uh, I've, i've hired uh, two editors with totally two different background one being jewish one uh, being non-jewish so that i have the both point of view, but uh, no, it's, it's uh, again, first of all, for my daughters, so that uh, they understand uh, why we took them away. And, uh, and also for the next generation, I've heard too many Americans wondering why their grandparents did something or their great grandparents did something. So I can imagine uh, great grandchildren or even the next generation that I, I will never know, but writing a uh, reading about, about the why and, uh, and maybe learning something from it. We'll see. That's not my expectation. Um, they will do whatever they want. <laughs> you don't get to be in control. Exactly. That's why I was saying this, Sherry. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Eric, for joining us, for talking about um, this really important part of your life. I mean, I think your relationship with your body is a really intimate and important relationship. So I'm excited for you as you kind of dive deeper into making that a healthy relationship, one that's really good for you. Thank you both. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of the podcast. In the meantime, feel free to check out zenfounder.com for lots of resources about the kinds of conversations that we have on the podcast. You can get information about working with me, about maybe joining a Zen tribe. It's sort of like a mental health boot camp for entrepreneurs. We also have lots of content on our blog, links to resources in our courses and books for sale. So check us out there and we hope to provide anything and everything that you might need to make the entrepreneurial life a little bit easier.